Good morning. Let's take uh, uh, just a minute to quiet your hearts before God. Just take uh, maybe 30, 40 seconds to be quiet. Um, allow your soul to be present to what God wants to say and what God wants to do here in your midst today. Scripture says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I'm out of here. <laughs> I just I just want to give one more little um, addition to the prayer, um, the prayer conference announcement. If you're interested in helping with the prayer conference, we will have uh, lots of need for help, people that would be um, serving as hosts and facilitators. So if you're interested in that, you can talk to me or you can talk to Jacqueline Furness, if you know Jacqueline. You're probably more likely to know Jacqueline than you are to know me. So, uh, but if you want to be connected and you don't know her, then come to me today. Okay. Um, God's speaking to us as a staff this year and elders, uh, specifically that this is kind of a year of faith in action. This is a, a, a time to sort of get up and get going. Not to do something to earn our salvation, but from a place of grace to do what God's called us to do in obedience and empowered by the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God to, to walk out our faith in Jesus. Um, it's a time to respond to God's calling with God's power. Hold on a sec. And so um, one step in the process of, uh, of our new vision this year is this sermon series that we're just calling Stand Up. And what we're doing is looking at some characters in the Old Testament and specifically highlighting the way that God called them and then the way they responded to that call. Adam did a good job of reminding us we're not necessarily called to emulate everything that these Old Testament characters did because it turns out they were humans and um, did some pretty screwy stuff, kind of like us. Um, but we, we learn from them. We learn principles for, from them. We see courage in them. We see faith taking action in them. And so they're worthy of our time. This morning we want to look um, to the call and the response of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. How many are currently having your quiet times in Judges right now? There's one, two, all right, three. Reading through the Bible, is that how far you are? Or All right, <laughs> that's good, okay. Well, we don't normally do a whole lot from Judges, but this is going to be fun this morning. Do you, do you believe me? Suckers. Um, in the time of Judges, so we've uh, skipped a, uh, about 10 generations at this point from Joshua. If you remember, Moses gave to Joshua the leadership of Israel, and they were walking into the promised land, this land that God had promised them. And Joshua leads the people into the promised land. We're about 10 generations past that, and a lot of stuff has happened in those generations, a lot of good stuff and a lot of not-so-good stuff. And um, what we see is that the people of God were in the promised land giving to them, 
but they had not yet fully possessed it. Think about that for a second. This was a land given by the Creator God to His very favored people. It was a gift to them. They did nothing to earn that gift. It was given to them, and yet they hadn't fully possessed it. It does, uh, sometimes, it, we just need to recognize that God's given us gifts that we're not going to live out until we fully own them. And I, I wonder if there are some even here today, you feel like, I know God's given me something, but I haven't fully owned my gift. I've been afraid to walk in it. I've been afraid of, of what's required for me to walk out this gift. There's some fighting involved. There's some tenacity. There's some courage. There's some real risk. I wonder if that's a word to some of us this morning, that God's given you gifts, and you know God's calling you. You know that you know that you know, but you haven't yet decided to own the gifts. Maybe today's the day to own what God's given you. That was a freebie. That wasn't connected to the notes or where we're headed today. So historically, God's people right now um, have come into the promised land, but they've deserted God. And in fact, at this point, they're worshiping idols. And you see in the time of the judges, from whence the book gets its name, the time of the judges, there's, there's this cycle. God's people would go through this cycle of uh, forgetting who they were, of um, serving idols, of falling back into slavery. And these people would oppress them, and then God would raise up someone, a judge, a man or a woman. God would raise someone up to call them back, and they would come back to God and say, okay, we're so sorry. We want to love you and worship you again. And then God would deliver them, and then they would go right back into that cycle of disobedience and idol worship and servitude, cry out for deliverance. And that cycle repeated for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they're in this time right now that's characterized by a statement in the Scriptures. It just says, and each person did what seemed right in their own eyes, like a free-for-all like a spiritual free-for-all, and it wasn't going well for the people of God. And so here in the midst of this cycle, God uh, selects a man named Gideon, um, an unlikely suspect, and he calls him to stand up and to do something. So I'm going to read from Judges chapter 6. If you want to stand while we read this, if you're comfortably able to do so. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11, I'm going to read to 16 and then 25 to 27. This is the word of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Midian out of, save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Skipping ahead, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to the Baal. 
and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Those were the symbols of pagan worship. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Let's pray. God, instruct us from this uh, word, this story, this reality, and lead us in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So I want to say, I want to give five challenges from the text this morning. Um, With all my heart, I wanted to give three challenges because it's my favorite number, but there were five. So you get five challenges. Number one, you can write all these down if you want. That'll make me feel good. But if you don't, all these notes will be on on our website along with some questions for discussion. Number one, God will call you even in your fear. God will call you even in your fear. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak that belonged to Joash where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. You think, well, what? What's so bad about that? Well, we don't do a whole lot of wheat threshing. And so you might not know that normally wheat would be threshed in the wide open field because the point of it is you'd throw the wheat up and the wind would separate the wheat from the chaff. That's how you did it. So what Gideon is doing is hiding in the wine press. He's gone into the cellar to hide basically from the, the enemies of God. He is a servant of God, loved by God, chosen by God, empowered by God, and he's hiding from God's enemies in the wine press. God sought him out, and God found him, and God spoke to him right in the midst of his fear. Right in the midst of his place of fear, God spoke to Gideon. And I I realize um, in my own life, sometimes God speaks the loudest in my deepest fears. When I am most trembling and troubled is when God really wants to speak, especially if it's an action word. (laughs) Randy, time to move. Ah! Anybody else feel that sometimes? God's speaking right in the midst of your fear. You can't hide from God's call. That has been at least the story of my life. And my guess is every one of you who's chosen to follow Jesus, you recognize at one time or another, I cannot hide from God's call. Psalm 139, I won't, I won't quote it here, but Psalm 139, one of the questions the psalmist asked was, is where can I flee from your presence? Basically, he's saying, where could I possibly go that you wouldn't be there? If I go to hell, you'll find me there. The edge of the dawn, you'll find me there. If I sleep, you'll find me. If I'm up, you'll find me. Even if I say darkness would hide me, I guess I am quoting it. (laughs) Even if I say darkness would hide me, darkness is the same as light to you. In other words, the psalmist is saying, even my darkness, even my fear is not dark to you. God looks into the, the darkness of our fear and he speaks light with his voice. That's just the way God is. God's got this um, omnipresent thing going on. Omnipresent just means God is everywhere all the time. So there is nowhere that God cannot be. In fact, it is impossible for God to not be where you are. Have you ever thought of that? There is something God can't do. He can't not be there. 
He can't not be present in your life. You can't shield him. You can't run from him. I mean, in, in the most positive sense, we can't hide from God. But I wonder if some of us feel that, like we're just trying to keep our, you know, our nose clean. We've gone into the cellar of our lives. We're just, you know, trying to take care of our little thing, afraid that the enemy's going to come and take something away, steal our birthright, screw us over again like so many times before. You know the feeling when you're just there living in fear, a little bit of bitterness to go on the side? kind of one hand on the plow and one eye on the door. But God, because he knows us and because he loves us, is present to every place we are, even in our fear. And in that place, God comes and he speaks to us. God knows where you live. I've got story after story personally of times when I went through that same cycle the Israelites did. God, I'm all for you. And then I'd begin to stray. And then I'd begin to fall away. And then I'd worship other Idols, you know what I mean, in life, chasing after other things. Letting the enemy speak his lies to me rather than living out of God's truth for me. And then I'd come to a place in a pit and cry out, God, deliver me. And every single time, God delivered me. God is not afraid of our shameful places. He's not afraid of our fear because he knows you and he knows your name. He knows your, he knows your gig. He knows your hang-ups. He knows your shame and he has a plan. It, it's so comforting, comforting for me to know that my stuff doesn't get in God's way. You know how we say, well, we all got stuff, right? My stuff doesn't get in God's way. He's bigger than it. He's able to do, even through me, what he wants to do. And it's the same with you. God will call you right in your hiddenness, right in your fear. And maybe, honestly, he's calling you now. Number two, God always speaks to who we really are. God always speaks to who we really are. You see verse 12 in Judges 6. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, many theologians will say when you see angel of the Lord, picture the pre-incarnate Jesus. How do you picture the pre-incarnate Jesus? Do it anyway. This is a theophany. This is a revelation of God to Gideon. The, the, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Gideon, and he says this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, from the background, it's just a wild guess. Gideon is not feeling particularly mighty warrior-ish. He's hiding. He's the least of the least clan in the least place. And even when the angel of the Lord comes to him, he's not afraid of the angel. He's afraid of the enemy. And God speaks to him about who he is. It's interesting that if you look through the text, Gideon does not even respond. God says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon doesn't even deal with the mighty warrior part. I think it, it has no place to land in him. So he immediately speaks back to the angel of the Lord, said, oh yeah, the Lord is with us, sure. And he goes on in his whining. But God speaks to who he really is. God sees past the cave and the fear. And he sees Gideon, the mighty warrior. I wonder what God's called you recently. Maybe in a time with him. Maybe in a prophetic word. Maybe in just a knowing. Maybe you were sitting in church one day and God spoke to you who you really are. Maybe 30 years ago someone said to you, you know, in Jesus this is who you are. Or called out some gold in you. 
Maybe this morning during worship, God said something to you. What has God called you recently? How has he named you? Not your negative thoughts, not the stuff that you attach, the stuff you say to yourself that you would never say to another human. Not that stuff. Deep inside, what has he told you about it? I, I, I want to encourage us this morning, don't be ashamed of what God's called you. This um, last week, I promised that all my quiet times aren't so introverted and self-focused as the one I'm about to tell you about. But the Lord was speaking to me about my name just two weeks ago. My, my first name is Stephen. My middle name is Randall. And God was saying, I want you to live out your name. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. The word Stephen means uh, crown. I like that one. That's not the one he was talking about. The word Randall, if you go back to the Vikings or something, is uh, two words together. It means shield, that's cool, and it means wolf. That's not so cool. And the Lord said to me, you were meant to be a shield to people from wolves, but sometimes you run from wolves in fear. That's what God said to me. God said, for, for a long time, you, you've not recognized that you're meant to be a shield. You're meant to be a protector. And you've been running in fear from the enemy. And I mean, God, this all came to me before the Gideon, before we got to this Gideon passage. And I just realized God's speaking to me about who I really am. He's called me to be a shield, not to run in fear. I'm supposed to lead the army. I'm not supposed to run from it. I wonder what God's called you. I wonder what he said to you. I wonder what truth he's spoken into your life in the last weeks or months or years that you're not living out of right now. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. It would do us a lot of good to rehearse what God has said about us. Corporately in the scriptures, individually in our own lives, the truth that we know that we know. You know, it's that thing that God says about you that you're almost ashamed to say because it sounds like pride. Do you know that one? There was a nice laughter there. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. But you know what I'm saying? You're like, I don't would never say that in front of people. That, that's a pretty good picture of the way God looks at you. He sees you just like he saw Gideon as a mighty warrior, not a fearful runner, runner awayer. He knows your name. You will never know true fulfillment in life until you're living out of your true identity in God. And, and I know that that's true, like as a rule out there in the scriptures, but I also know that that's true in my life. You will never live out true fulfillment in life until you're living out of your truest identity in God. And the closer you get to that truest identity and walking in it, walking in it, the more fulfillment you're, you, you will experience in your life. I'm not saying it'll be easier. I'm not saying it'll be um, no problems. I'm not saying that everyone will love you for it. I'm just saying there will be a sense of fulfillment that you've never known before when you're walking out of your true identity. Are you right now living out of any identity other than the name that God has given to you? Chosen, beloved, valued, unique, beautiful, adopted. Any other identity that we live out will lead us into falsehood, lies, fear. 
It's only when we live out of our truest identity that we're going to walk in the plan that God has for us. God will always speak to you who, where, who and where you really are. He'll speak to our truest selves. Number three, difficult, even impossible circumstances are not condemnation from God, but an invitation to trust in action. It is so easy for us to blame our circumstances on the devil. It's kind of trendy, right? But difficult, even impossible circumstances are never, in the life of a believer, condemnation from God. Why can I say that? Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He cannot condemn you because Jesus has already taken care of that. The paid, paid the price for that sin that would bring condemnation. And you are his. You're the beloved. But difficult, even impossible circumstances can be an invitation to trust in action. Verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord. I think in the Hebrew it says more something like, yo, dude, are you kidding me? Something like that. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Remember, he's hundreds of years past that miracle. And he's wondering, is it, is it, is it really true? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Gideon speaking to God. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's willing to say to God, you've abandoned us. And I think as I look at the scripture, I realize that the issue is not whether or not the Lord was with Gideon. The issue was, would Gideon be with the Lord? The Lord came to Gideon to prove his never-ending presence. The real question is, would Gideon be with the Lord where the Lord was? Would Gideon respond to God's call to be in a different place with the promise of his presence? The issue was, would Gideon be with God? And so, because of Gideon's attitude towards God and his circumstances, the presence of the Lord felt and looked like abandonment to Gideon. Have you ever experienced that? You look at your circumstances and you look around, you think, God is not with me. God has abandoned me. Because these circumstances, if God really was with me, it would be so much better, so much easier. I'd have the ba-ba-ba that I want, and I'd be in the do-do-do that I need and all that. We look at that and we say, God, you, you aren't here. Because it would look different if you were here. I remember accusing God of abandonment. I had finished seminary. We were called to the mission field in the Middle East. I was going to be the great man of God. And in about three weeks, my faith plummeted. Things were getting hard, ended up in the hospital. The people that called us there didn't really want us there. And it was, it was a bad situation. And you know what I did? I did what any good faithful missionary does. I blamed God. I said, God, you called me, but you didn't come with me. I said those exact words. I mean, what gall? <laughs> To say to God, you had the power and the love to call me, but you didn't come with me because I was looking at my circumstances and not at my Savior. I was looking around me, but not up. But the Lord does not rebuke Gideon. 
he assures Gideon of his presence and he invites Gideon into a miracle. So what impossible circumstance stands before you right now? What impossible situation stands before you right now? And is there any way you'd be willing to admit, you know, I am given the enemy credit for these circumstances? Does it matter who brings the circumstances if God is sovereign over all? Does it matter who we blame for this situation in our lives? Who's at, who's at fault? God, the devil, or whatever? COVID. Does it really matter if God's sovereign? Is God able to bring good out of every situation or not? Does he love you eternally or not? Has he chosen you eternally or not? Will he be with you and stick with his promise to never leave you or forsake you or not? The issue is not about God. The issue is about us and how we respond to him. Can you receive the invitation into miraculous action wherever you are right now? No circumstance in your life is condemnation from God. Each is an invitation to trust and action. Challenge four. God invites us into the impossible with only the promise of his presence. And he seems to think that's enough. Verse 14 to 16. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Can you imagine if you're Gideon, fearful little Gideon, and the Lord says, Go in the strength you have? Gideon's like, uh, Not a lot there, pal. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God says to Gideon, go in the strength you have. It's like God saying, yeah, you're scrawny, but I'll be with you, and that's enough. Have you ever had that call from God? You feel like God's urging you to do something. You, you sense something. It's a challenge. It's like, I could, okay, I think God's calling me. And then you look at yourself and you rehearse what you don't have and who you're not and where you lack. And then by the end of that, you've talked yourself out of the voice of the Lord. I've done it hundreds of times. And God just says, give me what you got. That's all I need. Because God will never ask us to be more than he created us to be. God will never ask us to be more than we are. A, a part of the beauty of the cross is that it allows us to accept ourselves right where we are. Because Jesus accepted us right there. Covered our sin. Redeemed us. Made us holy, sanctified, and blameless. And then says now, yes, right in your current state, I'll use you. I'll take you. I'll be with you and that'll be enough. And then God has the crazy thought that he's even going to give, um, you know, he, he says, I'll be with you and you will save Israel out of Midian's hand. The difference between what Gideon was able to do and what Gideon actually did was the God factor. It was the presence. And it's the same for all of us. The difference between what we're able to do in our own strength and what God's calling us to do is the, is the presence factor. 
It's, it's why our number one value at the church, right over here on the wall, the presence of God. We value the presence of God. We seek to encounter God and carry his presence to the world. Because just like Moses in Exodus 33, we have the courage to say to God, God, if you're not with us, what distinguishes us from anyone else? When you go into your workplace tomorrow, even if it's three steps down, you know, into your study or wherever, or back to school, or out into the neighborhood, or whatever it is God's called you to do, the presence, the, the, the promise of the presence of God is your good. It's your power. It's your strength. And the Lord says to you, go in this your strength, whatever you got, and I'll be with you. It's an invitation to exchange our weakness for God's power. The Lord's given us gifts, each and every one of us. If you're in Christ, God's given you gifts, and he's called you to something. It may not be grand worldwide ministry. It might be much harder than that. It might be forgiveness. It might be commitment. It might be love. It might be courage to stay or courage to leave. Just because it's impossible doesn't mean that God's not calling you to do it, right? I mean, you just open the Bible and you can see that's true. Just because it's impossible does not mean God's not asking you to do it. It just will be him with you making the doing happen. So Gideon asks the wrong question. Gideon says, but who am I? The real question is not for Gideon, who am I? But who is God? And what is God saying? And what is God doing? And what's the character and the nature and the grandeur and the power of this one who says he's within me? That's the real question. Gideon asks, who am I? He should have just said, God, <laughs> I know who I am, but now I want to find out who you are. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. When God finds you and calls you and promises his presence and declares victory over you, you can believe it. It might not be your current experience, but it is your certain future as a child of God. If you want to know who you are, then I'm going to tell you. Ready? Close your eyes if you want. Take it in. You're like me. You're a God-loving, hungry, at times desperate creature with a deep longing desire to fulfill your destiny in God. Fearful sometimes, proud sometimes, but willing to listen to his voice, willing to open your spirit to God, his view of you, his calling for you, and willing maybe, just maybe, to trust him and obey and courage and see his kingdom break in and through your life. That's who you are. You're like Gideon. You're a mighty warrior. That's thus saith the Lord. That's what God says about you and about me. God's invitation into the impossible comes only with the promise of his presence. And God seems to think that's enough. Final challenge. Real faith requires action. You got, you got to do something. Verses 25 to 27. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Hear how specific is the action call of God. The one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down 
offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. Now, listen to this. This is just so real. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. It's, I love, I mean, I love the truth, the reality of the scripture. Gideon, the mighty warrior, the great man of faith, is going to do exactly what God says at night because he's afraid. And God seems to be okay with that. That same night, Gideon went to cut down the pole. Faith requires an action. Might be a scary action. Might be a risky action. It might be an action outside of your comfort zone. It might be an awkward action. But if you're going to respond to the call of God, you've got to actually take a step. Volunteer. Step up. Stand up. Show up. Open your mouth. Close your mouth. Do something. Be willing. Take a risk. Be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be known. And you are thinking to yourself, but where, Randy? Tell me God's will for me. Tell me what to do. Well, I am going to tell you with a quote that changed my life, but it's not going to make it easy. <laughs> Frederick Beekner, I've quoted this probably 20 times since I've been here, says this, the place where God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You wonder what God might be calling you to do. What action? I think it's worth taking some time. God, where is, the, where is my deep gladness in life, in ministry? What do I just come alive doing? Where's the, the world's deep hunger? Where's the, where's the hunger of the world, their deep need, and the place that I'm blessed and loved and, and empowered? Um, uh, what did Adam say? Ridiculously or scandalously or ludicrously blessed. Where is that place where God just pours out favor when I do it? If that place could meet the world's need, guess what? We'd find Jesus right there pouring out his blessing on us. But you're not going to find it scrolling through the internet. You're not going to find it probably just sitting in your space. It's probably going to take some action. For me, 20 years ago, it meant leaving a family business that my earthly father owned and wanted to give me give away to take up my heavenly father's business and come here. For me, a year ago, it meant being honest with the elders in a, an elder meeting last, you know, 14 months ago and saying, hey, I've allowed myself to become so burned out so fearful and so nervous that I'm having panic attacks. Something's wrong. That doesn't seem particularly courageous. Believe me, it was. And it was life-changing. You actually have to do something. Without all this, without action, all this calling and naming and being and presence and promise, all this is just potential. Until Gideon actually did something in response to God's call. It was just a cool thing to write in his journal. If you want to see God move, you have to take the first step. You have to stand up. You know, when Joshua led Israel into the promised land, do you remember that story? What happened? The, the water did not recede when they crossed the river. The, the water did not recede until the priests stepped into the water. It took action. God had the power to do it at any time. God chose to do it based upon the faith when those priests, when their, 
when their feet hit the water, the water's parted. It took action. It takes action for us, too. Peter stepping out of the boat. Martin Luther King Jr. standing for justice and peace without violence at the risk and eventually at the cost of his own life. Sean Israel, my friend, I told her, I asked her if I could say this about her. Sean Israel, my friend, what does what standing up look like for her? It meant risking how many years ago to being known, to being vulnerable, to, to say what she really thinks and feels at the risk of rejection, only to become known in a, in a community, loved, and to turn around and be a blessing in that community. It took action. What's your action step today? What's God calling you to, to do today? Is there something that you hear him saying to you? Have you given the, de the devil credit for your current life situation? I am not saying that the enemy doesn't hate us and bring bad things to us. That's not my point. My point is, are you looking at your life situation and ascribing glory to the devil for it? Or are you ready today to hear the voice of the Lord, to, to, to let him speak to who you really are, and to take a step so that he might prove himself strong and mighty and powerful and faithful and gracious on your behalf. Does the invitation that you face right now seem impossible? What difference might the presence of God make if God were true to his word to be with you wherever you go? What difference might that make in the impossible thing that you think God's calling you to do? So the question today is, will we stand up? Will we take God at his word despite our fear? Will we be begin to live out of the identity that he's given us? Will we see our current situation from God's point of view and not the devil's? Will we walk as if God is with us because he is and he can't be otherwise? Will we take a step? So I'm going to invite you physically now to stand up. And I'll ask the worship team to come. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember the step that Jesus took from heaven to earth, from earth to cross, from cross to grave, from grave to resurrection, to ascension to heaven and the pouring out of, of his spirit. Every step that Jesus took, took courage, took, uh, took faith in God. And we're going to honor the faith of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you've given your life to Christ, you know him, he lives in you, and he is your savior, I invite you to come forward down along the diagonal, take the communion elements, and then you can return to your seat. And as we worship, thank Jesus for what he's done for you. And as you finish your time with the elements, would you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? So I invite you to come forward and remember what Jesus has done. I'd like to ask the ministry team to come forward. If you're on the ministry team, if you could just come up in the front. And I, I want to address another crowd here this morning. There's a group of you here this morning. You're not living out of fear. You've owned your gifts and your calling and you're walking in it. You agree with God about who you are. You're trusting God. You're acting in his power. You're not sitting down, you're moving. That's awesome. 
I want to know for you, who in your sphere of influence needs you to come alongside them and exhort them and tell them to stand up? What family member, what friend, what person in your group, what child, what parent, what teacher, what barista needs you to come alongside them? You've, you've got relationship with them and you can say, hey, you're sitting down in God's presence and I want you to stand. God's calling you and I want you to walk. Who needs you to speak the truth in love to them in such a powerful way that they can hear who they are, walk out of their fear, own their gifting, and do God's calling in and through their lives. So if, if you've got someone in mind, then I'd encourage you to respond to that. Do, do that today. Text them now. Call them when you leave. Anyone else here, if you want someone to come and pray for you, if God's given you a call to action, God's given you a, a way to repent or to turn to Him, or he's, you want to be filled with His faith, you want to be filled with His courage, I encourage you to come forward. You can be with God here. You can ask someone to pray for you, whatever's best for you. We're just going to finish now worshiping. You are free to come for prayer or go take the love of Jesus into the world. Amen. Amen.